Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, Mitch has got the day off, so Steve Zinsmeister here with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. And it's been an interesting day, to say the least. About an hour ago, a big little uh, tweet bomb was dropped on us from uh, Sham Sharani at The Athletic saying that the Phoenix Suns are one of two finalists for Bradley Beal in a trade. Miami and Phoenix, he brings up. But then he mentions the Suns specifically and says the Suns have emerged as a serious threat for Beal, who holds a no-trade clause. So we've talked a lot today already about how this would be a drastically different strategy to building your team in the offseason than what I thought and what most Suns fans probably thought they would do. We thought maybe you move Aiton, maybe you move Chris Paul, you wave and stretch Chris Paul, create some room to go out and get some other guys. Or you trade uh, him to somebody else who wants cap space and get some of their guys. Or you trade Aiton for a couple of guys. We thought that the strategy would be build, get more depth around Booker and Aiton. I thought that would be the strategy because that's what they appeared to need in the playoffs. This is totally different. This is completely different. This is Matt Ishbia taking another big swing. And going out and acquiring a third star player in Bradley Beal. And essentially maxing out financially what you can do under the salary cap. Now there's always things you can do, right? You can sign guys to league minimum contracts to fill out your roster. And just roll with the big three and then see what else you can get. You can do that. They can bring back some of their guys. I don't know who has bird rights or whatever. You can bring back some of your guys maybe. Shamit's still under contract, but maybe he would be involved in that trade. So there's a handful of pieces at play here, but you would essentially be maxing out the money that you have. This is from our own Kellen Olson at ArizonaSports.com. He covers the Suns better than anybody, in my opinion. He says that Beal, Booker, and Durant's salaries next season combined would be $131 million. The salary cap next season is $134 million. <laughs> Combined, they would be 131 and the cap is 134 Doesn't exactly leave you a lot of room to do anything. Because you got to remember, there's a couple of guys under salary already. Under under contract, I should say. I mean, if Shamit doesn't get traded, that's $10 million you're holding on to. Uh, campaign, I think, is held on to. So you're essentially filling out the rest with league minimum guys, if that's the strategy. If you want to go get Bradley Beal, if he solves all your problems in your opinion, then um, I can appreciate the big swings. Certainly a position that this organization hasn't been in in years past. I can appreciate Matt Ishbia wanting to be aggressive. I can appreciate James Jones having probably the most difficult job in the NBA this offseason where you have championship aspirations and expectations from everyone because you have Booker and Durant, but you don't really have a good team around them. And I like Paul, and I like Aiton on some level, but we know the obvious reasons why they might have to go. So you got a really difficult job if you're James Jones. You're expected to win a championship, but you really only have two players you know for a fact are going to be on your team next season. That's one of the hardest jobs in the game. There's plenty of other jobs that are in worse markets or with worse owners. I saw Michael Jordan is selling the Hornets. By the way, I don't know if there's ever been an athlete who is so spectacular and so bad at being an executive. Magic Johnson probably plays <laughs> plays into that conversation or Wayne Gretzky is a coach or something. Derek Jeter maybe. Um, but there's so many positions around the league that are probably worse jobs, but maybe not harder or more difficult than James Jones' job. And so I can appreciate them swinging for the fences here and trying to go in after Bradley Beal. 
But again, I'm going to read you what Kellen Olsen tweeted. Next season, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant's salaries would add up to $131 million. The salary cap is expected to be 134 meaning you have very little to no room whatsoever to make other moves. It would be those three guys and a bunch of Uber drivers on the bench playing for the Phoenix Suns. Now, I'm saying that facetiously, no offense to Uber drivers, but I mean, seriously, maybe I should take calls during the show today and just have regular people call in with their resume and why they should play for the Phoenix Suns next season. Because if they make this move for Bradley Beal, there's not going to be room to pay anybody else. You're not going to have a lot of options. I'm assuming that they're not going to be able to do mid-level exception guys. I'm I'm assuming they're not going to have a lot of the available avenues that they might if they move off of Aiton and Paul and don't acquire a huge star player like this. By the way, what happens down the road? Because Bradley Beal's under contract for several more years. Well, how about 24 and 25 that season, two years from now? $151 million between the three of them. Because Booker, Durant, and Beal would all be under contract. $151. The year after that, 163 Tell me that's not going to be over the salary cap. I don't think the salary cap's jumping $100 million in the next two years. Maybe it does. I don't know. But I kind of doubt it. There was that one year. I don't know if you guys remember that one year where the salary cap jumped like huge, like 25%, I feel like. And they started paying these guys who didn't deserve big contracts were getting massive deals for, for their level of ability. I mean, Timothy Mozgov got like $16 million a year or something to ride the bench. Uh, was that in L.A. maybe? Or I think it was L.A. I think it was L.A. But like that's not going to happen this offseason or next there's not going to be a huge jump in the salary cap that I, I that is unforeseen, I don't think. Now, maybe Matt Ishbia is completely ignoring the salary cap and is like, I'll pay whatever it takes. Give well, me the I get a championship. Right. Mate, just give me the three best players. Give me the three, the four best players, and we'll figure it out. I don't care about the money. And he said that before, by the way, on several different occasions about it doesn't matter what it takes to to get these players, to get Kevin Durant. We're going to do it because it makes our team better. Totally appreciate that. It's not a situation this team has ever been in, really ever. I mean, they've had some good players in the past, but this is not, this is new territory for the Phoenix Suns. Completely new owner, James Jones, as difficult as his job is, I think he's pretty good at it. I mean, you're looking to operate this team with three superstar players, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and no money to work with for the rest of your team. Good luck. I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. I'm just saying it's very difficult. You already had an issue with depth. I mean, if you roll with those three guys, from the most general standpoint, I assume Beal is the two. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Who's going to be the two? Booker's the three, I guess. And then Durant is the four, I guess. Or is Booker the one? Is Booker the and does Bradley Beal want to be more of a traditional point guard? I kind of doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it too. Now, from a basketball standpoint, this is there's so many great questions about how they would make that trio work. And I would assume that a lot of the time, two of them would be on the court, one would be off, and you would rotate a lot. And I, I get how that works. But at the end of the game, when the game is on the line, who gets the ball? Those are three guys who need the ball. Absolutely. Bradley Beal needs the ball. To be to capitalize on what he can do to be worth the forty seven million dollars he makes next season. Oh yeah, he does make that much. Yep, he makes so much money. I mean, you're you're gonna not give that guy the ball, but Devin Booker needs the ball. Devin Booker makes a lot of money too. Yeah, Devin Booker. He's been here longer. Yeah, Devin Booker's like your franchise guy. He's the franchise. guy. He's the youngest. 
He's the guy who's been here the longest. He stuck it out through thick and thin with the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker's the franchise guy. And then you've got Hall of Famer Kevin Durant, who's going to be, of the three players, probably will be regarded as the best of the three when all is said and done. Probably. Assuming that Booker doesn't just go off and completely destroy my argument here. How are you going to get the ball around to those three guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to factor that in my head right now. I don't, yeah. They're going to have to rotate a they're, lot. They're have to. A lot. And defensively, how does this fit? Now, I think Booker deserves a lot more credit. And Durant, too. They deserve a lot of credit for what they did defensively in the playoffs. I think they were actually well above average and better than anybody gives them credit for. Yeah, they do try. They do try. I will give them that. How does Bradley Beal fit into that equation? Because if you're rolling a traditional point guard on the floor, let's say campaign, just for the for the time being, because he's currently with the Suns. If you're running campaign, Beal, Booker, Durant, and insert a five, uh, Jock Landale, because again, with the Suns. If you're running that out there, you're pretty small at the two and the three position. And, and at the five. And Durant's playing four. And if somebody like Landale is playing five, I mean, I like Landale in spurts, but as a starter. Yeah, I'd rather him come off the bench. You might have to, you might have to roll with a couple of backup centers and split them 50-50. Or if you have three guys that you feel comfortable, you can rotate. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. You play, I don't know, like roughly, I don't know what the math comes out to, 48 divided by three, uh, 16 minutes each. Yeah, that, that math sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just doing math live on the air. Probably not the smartest thing, right? But ah, there's so many questions I have about this. If you trade for Bradley Beal, you got no room to do anything else. Not at all. What are your options? It's not much. Anyway, it's the biggest story of the day here on Arizona Sports Saturday. We're going to get more into what this could mean for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, how does this affect the coach? I mean, you got a brand new coach. How does he want to run? Is this just Matt Ishbia with a wish list? What I would call an ish list? Uh, is he just going around the league and saying, hey, that's a good player. I want him. That's a good player. Let's try to get him. Is this a James Jones idea? I don't know. I don't know what, where any of this came from necessarily. Bradley Beal must be interested, though, because the Wizards wouldn't be able to make the deal without his approval. Yeah, that's right. So he must want to be here on some level. Maybe he wants to be in Miami more. That's entirely possible. There's a lot of factors that go into whether or not this trade ends up happening for the Suns. We're going to dive more into those. I do have some baseball nuggets I want to get to, but this is the top story of the day, people. Bradley Beal could be a Phoenix Sun. That's a possibility, and we're going to get more into it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. And Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsweister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for uh, spending part of your weekend with me. This big trade, potential trade news came down right at the beginning of the show. The Athletics, Sham Sharani, are reporting that the Phoenix Suns are one of two finalists for Bradley Beal in a trade, currently with the Washington Wizards. Um, there's a lot of aspects to this. The, my initial reaction is, well, what do you have to give up? What does Washington want that Phoenix has? Because you don't have first-round picks for the foreseeable future, thanks to the Kevin Durant deal. So if it's not picks, what does Washington want? The only thing I can come up with, because I don't think Aiton makes the most sense for them, unless they plan on moving Kuzma or moving... Is Porzingis still there? I don't even know. I don't watch Wizards all that much. But... Aiton doesn't feel like the right fit, and I don't know who wants to build. Does Washington really want to build around a $30 million Aiton? I don't know. The more appealing thing to me 
would be grabbing Chris Paul, eliminating that contract, because Bradley Beal's contract is is massive. I don't want to say it's the worst contract in the game, but it's it's pretty bad, and that doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's a great player. It's just his salary is like, oh my gosh, when I looked at it. He signed a five-year, $251 million deal. Now, I'm doing some basic math on the air, but that's like $50 million a year. He made $43 million this past season. He'll make $46.7 next season. He'll make fifty the year after that, fifty-three and a half the year after that, and then he's got a player option in 2026-2027 for $57 million. I'm not saying it's a bad player, just a really big contract. And that might be the reason you can get him. Because remember with the the Chris Paul situation, it wasn't that Chris Paul was a bad player and was out there and available and the the Thunder just didn't want Chris Paul. He was actually, I think if I remember right, he was a top five MVP candidate. Yeah, he was. He He was was. a really good player. So why did they move him? Because his contract was massive. It's too much money. And they weren't in a position to really be competitive all that much. For the future, at least. They chose another direction. The Wizards might be looking to do the same thing. It's not that we don't like Bradley Beal. We love Bradley Beal. We signed him to a five-year, $251 million deal. That's how much we like him. We gave him a quarter of a billion dollars because we like him that much. And maybe the idea here is he's unhappy with us. We can get off of the money. Maybe the best thing you can get in return isn't necessarily players of comparable financial value. Maybe it's Chris Paul. And you could then waive him and can't, pay him. Yeah, can't relief. You could pay him the $15 million and then try to bring him back, the way we've been talking about the Suns could. Oh, yeah. Or you could waive and stretch him, assuming that they have that option available to them, and they could pay him very minimally over the next five years and create even more space. You lose the $47 million next season that Beal would have costed you, and you add Chris Paul's savings as well. You're essentially just eliminating space financially in Washington. Then you can, then you have a plethora of things you can go and do. Yeah, that sounds like what they want to do. That seems to be the appeal of this trade to me. There's uh, also Shams mentions in his article there is an option where they could trade DeAndre Ayton and Landry Shamit. I don't know why you would want to do that unless you really like Shamit and Ayton as players. In which case, have at it. I think that a lot of Suns fans would jump at that. Yeah, by all means. Here's the other thing, and I don't know if we've really touched on this. If you want to look at it at the most basic level, I'm either going to commit this money to Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton or Bradley Beal. Just very simply, which one would you rather have? I'd rather have the depth. You'd rather have I'd rather have more players than just have just three big guns. Now, keep in mind, you're talking about depth. If you roll back with Chris Paul and, and DeAndre Ayton, that doesn't necessarily mean depth. Oh, yeah, they just did that. Yeah, it is the same movie we already saw. It's kind of the same. You're kind of just running it back with the same cast of characters. Yeah, you that's might, fair. Yeah. You might mix in a few different minimum league guys, but ultimately your roster construction looks the same. Yeah. Or you take the Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton situation and turn it into Bradley Beal. You're, you're capped out at that point because Beal, Booker, and Durant cost $131 million all altogether next year. And the salary cap is estimated to be about $134 Meaning you're capped out. You're going to fill the rest of the team with a bunch of G League guys, a bunch and, of dudes. Who, yeah. yeah you, we're not going to know half of them probably when they sign. They probably won't even last the season. 
And maybe you get a couple of guys who are towards the end of their career that we all know, and they want to come and, and be a part of something special and, and have a chance at a ring. Maybe we get a couple of those guys. But There are quite a few guys like the Dwight Howards and the Carmelo Anthony's. They are, they're out there. Yeah, but how much value does that carry? Now, I liked Dwight Howard as a player, even when he came back to the Lakers, the, what was that, the second about, time? Yeah, about, what, was it about two or three years ago? Yeah, right. The, or, the bubble? Yeah, right. Or... I thought that he brought some value on a pretty minimal contract, and he actually played pretty well overseas recently. Um, but, yeah, those are the types of players you're probably looking at. Washed-up guys that we all remember or guys that have not made a name for themselves. Yeah, those guys probably give you about 50 games, maybe, if you get that out of them. But I'll pose the question again and try to think of it from a from a, fan's, a Suns fan's perspective. Would you rather have what you had last season – or take that scenario and turn it into Bradley Beal. I think most people would say, give me Bradley Beal, yeah. and I'll figure the rest out. Yeah, I'd rather see a new movie than the same movie. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. And I think that's part of what Matt Ishby is trying to accomplish here. Now, I'm just going to assume he has his fingerprints on this. That doesn't oh, absolutely. Mean, that doesn't mean that he went and told James Jones, go get me Bradley Beal. I, I don't know that that's necessarily what happened. But when you see that Bradley Beal is available, because that was widely reported uh, a couple of days ago, that the Wizards were trying to work with him on a deal to send him to a contender. So that lets the rest of the league know Bradley Beal's out there. This is an option. For other teams. And so maybe Matt Ishbia looks at, or maybe this is entirely James Jones. And this is truly the strategy that he wanted to go with all along was find a third star to pair with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Maybe, yeah. maybe. But yeah, I thought this was not at all what they were going to do. Yeah, because definitely the Suns do need guys that can get their own shot. That was, a, that was an issue for them. That's true. But when it came to star power, they certainly weren't lacking that. I always thought all along that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant were just kind of handle the offense. Not to say that you don't have a, a style or that they're not running plays or there's no scheme. That's not what I'm saying. Frank Vogel's going to implement some of that. Kevin Young is going to play a huge role in that as the assistant yeah. coach. And I, by the way, I don't think I've been on the air since that whole situation uh, kind of Oh, oh yeah, you were going for a while. Yeah, that's Well, right. I, we were off last week for Diamondbacks. Uh, I don't know who let them play a game in the middle of our show. No, I'm just kidding. But... Uh, yeah, that is a great situation for them to be in because from an offensive perspective, I think Kevin Young essentially operates as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. With Frank Vogel being such a great defensive mind, I mean, we, we ran through the numbers in the last couple of weeks. He's a walking top 10 defense. I mean, no matter where he goes, no matter what cast of characters he has around him, Frank Vogel's going to put up a good defense. That's probably why the Beal deal makes sense because Frank Vogel can coach defense. Maybe, and you know, I, I kind of, it seems like, Almost too simple to say that, right? Like to generally say like, well, if we have a bunch of good offensive players, then we don't have to worry about offense. And I get that it's more nuanced than that. But to to a certain degree, you're right. That when you have three guys who can just get buckets and can create their own shot, which certainly those three players can do on their own, it does alleviate some of the scheming that you might have to do. I mean, if you have a team that just doesn't have a lot of good players, I don't know. I'm thinking about like Charlotte over the last couple of years. You got to oh, have a yeah. good scheme if you want to score. Yeah, that's right. If you don't have the talent, these guys have the talent, especially if they add Bradley Beal. You got the talent. You have the star power. Now, how are you just going to make it all work? And uh, we talked earlier about who gets the ball. I mean, if you if if it's the last four seconds of the game and you're down by one, who takes that shot? Yeah, that's, I mean that's the question. I like to think that it's. Kevin Durant, because he's historically one of the greatest scorers of all time, but I also think it's 
Devin Booker's team and he's been here the longest and is certainly at the peak of his powers. But then does Bradley Beal really feel okay about being third fiddle? I mean, I'm sure in his mind right now, he's like, I'd love to play with those guys. We're all going to go out and have 20, 20 points a night. Easy. Oh, yeah. Easy, easy. 20, easy, easy 25 for all three easy. of them. But there's also going to be nights where Kevin Durant has 35 or 40, where Booker has 50, and Beal's going to be sitting there like, why do I have 16 points at the end of the game? There's, like, there's some growing pains there. Yeah, I wonder if it would be a situation like if they work it out. Let's just say hypothetically we do get Bradley Beal. Let's just say they probably work, around, work it out amongst each other saying who has the high hand that night. Maybe we'll go with that guy to take the last shot. That's a hard way to coach, too. Oh, yeah. Because it's one thing to have a rotation and to stick to it because at the end of the game, no matter how those players did that you chose to play, you can answer the media's questions and say, well, we you know, we have a rotation. We stuck to it. Yeah. We have a plan. We stuck to it. And sometimes you need to alter the plan, but we have a plan. Yeah. Especially in the regular season. That happens a lot, right? I mean, oh, yeah. teams rest guys when at times when you're like, whoa, why isn't Devin playing tonight? Well, we want him to play the next game. Or maybe we have a, ro- a back-to-back or a road trip coming up. Yeah. So, listen, it's a hard way to coach the hot hand approach. When you have three star players like that, any one of them could get hot at any time. Yeah, that's fair. That's but then, fair how much do you lean a certain? And and it's not like the coach picks who takes every shot, right? Like right. a lot of that depends on how the flow of the offense is going, how the other team is defending you. But the other thing about this is, if you have Beal, Booker, and Durant all on the floor at the same time, which I think they would at the beginning and ends of games. Yeah. How does the other team defend that? Yeah, that's a good question. If you have one, most teams have like one designated, that guy is a good defender. Most teams have that guy. Not a lot of teams have two of those guys, but the good teams do. Right. I don't know that anybody has three. Yeah, I don't think so either. What team has three lockdown defenders? Maybe there's one out there and you guys are thinking about it right now and I'm kicking myself over it. Maybe, Maybe Memphis. But like, come on. That's an interesting offensive team to talk about Bradley Beal with the Suns. And I don't know what to think about this. I'm just going to throw this in before we go to break. Uh, it's mentioned in the Athletic article. You make of this what you will. Beal's agent, Mark Bartlestein, is the father of the Suns' CEO, Chief Executive Officer Josh Bartlestein. So make of that what you will. There's an, a, a relationship to say the least, that's already established. There's a, there's a bit of a bridge there. I don't know if it helps or not, but I, it can't hurt, I guess. Uh, coming up, more on this big bombshell. Could the Suns trade for Bradley Beal? And also, too, are, why are the Diamondbacks rolling out the last person I would pick to be their leadoff hitter? They're doing it again? It's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferelvis. Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, I don't know if you were hoping for huge Suns news today, but we certainly got something I wasn't expecting. Steve Zinsmeister with you on Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for spending part of your weekend here with me uh, as Mitch is out today. From The Athletic, Sham Sharania, he says, Washington is in serious talks with two finalists for Bradley Beal, one being Miami. Makes sense. The other is the Phoenix Suns. He specifically mentions in his tweet, the Suns have emerged as a serious threat for Beal, who holds a no-trade clause. We've been talking all day about 
the huge ramifications to this. Uh, what does it mean from a basketball perspective? Uh, what does it mean for building the depth around this team, which is something that the Suns were drastically missing in the playoffs? It's going to be hard if you go and get Beal. It's going to be even harder to fill out the rest of the roster than the situation they were already in with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Can you get Beal without giving up both Ayton and Paul? I understand the appeal of Paul to the Wizards is probably that you wave and stretch him and then you create a lot of space by giving away Beal. That makes sense to me. Uh, I don't know if they want Aiton. So could they do the deal for Beal just for Chris Paul and maybe Landry Shamit or, or some sort of role player? There's a lot of questions here. And this is a developing story and certainly one that we're going to keep our eyes on for quite some time because it has so many ramifications from a basketball perspective, offense and defense. Uh, you have a new coach. How does that fit into this equation? Um, Bradley Beal's agent is the father of the Suns CEO. What role does that play? If any, we don't know. Uh, financially is the biggest thing. Booker, Beal, Durant, all together next season would make $131 million when the NBA salary cap is expected to be $134 million. You have no room to do anything else if you go and get Bradley Beal, you're going to be filling out the roster with Uber drivers, is what I said earlier. It's going to be a bunch of dudes who we don't haven't established themselves in the NBA, or they're guys we all remember, but they've been washed for a while. That's what this team could look like. And I thought they were going to go the depth route and try to build this organization with depth. If they do this Beal thing instead, which is not a done deal by any means, by the way, Miami probably seems like the better trade partner for me if I'm the Wizards. They certainly have more things they can offer them, including draft picks. Um, but whew, what a doozy to drop on a on a Saturday morning. Uh, let's talk some Diamondbacks. Joining me now from ArizonaSports.com is Alex Weiner, my good friend, covers the team. Uh, you've been out at Chase Field a couple of times recently. I have. I'll be back out there tomorrow. Here's what I want to hit you with. Um, this is a conversation you, have I, you and I have had before on the Ain't No Fang podcast at ArizonaSports.com. Paven Smith. Continues to be the leadoff hitter against righties. Uh, I think, was that just last night he was leading off against a righty? I think it was, against Tuki Toussaint. Um, Paven Smith shouldn't be the leadoff hitter. Against righties, certainly not against lefties. He shouldn't be the leadoff hitter at all. Paven Smith this season, when leading off, is hitting 148. And his numbers in general are not much better than that in the other spots in the lineup. I don't understand why the team continues to roll him out there as the leadoff hitter when there are better options in the major leagues and in the minor leagues. Well, I mean, he did go one for three with a couple of walks yesterday. So I know. Every time I criticize him, he does something. People asking questions about it, and then immediately he goes out and does that. It, it kind of feels like that happens from time to time where someone gets asked, why is Paven Smith hitting him here? And then he has a good game, but then it's a little wild. But I look at the body of one. work. Sure, and it it hasn't been great uh, recently. I mean, just looking at the month of June, he has a 38 WRC+. plus. I mean, he's just quite frankly not getting on base at a clip that you want to see out of a guy in the top half of the lineup, not to mention the leadoff spot. Yeah. Plus, it kind of seems like in spurts, they've put other guys there. Obviously, against lefties, they've put Cattell Marte there, and he's had tremendous success hitting first. A couple of games, they put Geraldo Perdomo there, and he's had some nice days when he's been hitting first, too. So they, they it feels like they have options for guys to place there. That's who they've gone with, and Tori Lovello has continued to put trust in him there. There's clearly something they're seeing behind the scenes 
or maybe just from an approach standpoint that they feel like he still gives them the, the best chance at leadoff. Now, the results have not been there at all, but I'm not so sure how quick they are going to be to change it. And, and, and Lavello said that he's not going to be one to be naive as far as like if it continues to not work, they're going to make the proper changes. But but it's been a while now that he's been in that role. And so far, the results haven't sort of warranted him staying there. But who knows if they think that, you know, something is coming around the corner for him. They're going to keep running him out there. For Here's the problem I have. You have four good players on this team, like really good players in the lineup. Wow, that's a uh, four. I think there's four. I think there's four good players. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say really good. There are four solid good players that could be all-stars this season. Corbin Carroll is obviously one of them. He's on pace to be rookie of the year. He's going to be an all-star. He might even be starting in the outfield in the all-star game. Uh, Guriel had one of the hottest months of May in the entire league. I know he's been cold lately since coming back from injury. He's got, I think, one hit, and it was a home run. Um, Cor- uh, Christian Walker is a good hitter. The only real power hitter on your team, aside from, I know Carroll's got the most home runs, and I know Guriel has actually had a nice resurgence in power, but Walker's your power hitter. And then Marte, you have four good players. And if you're not hitting all four of them in the f- top four spots in your lineup, you're missing out. And you're giving opportunities to people that otherwise could be one of those four. And I'm not okay with that. Sure. And I understand that. I mean, the other day, uh, I believe this was it was one of the Phillies games where they were down a run. It was the bottom of the seventh inning. And it was a first and third with two outs. And Pavin Smith's spot, the leadoff spot, came up in that situation. The Phillies went to their bullpen and bring in Gregory Soto, a lefty. Yeah. The Diamondbacks matched by bringing in Emmanuel Rivera, who's had a very good season for the D-backs. A little bit of a of a cold streak over the last like week or so, but for the most part, he's been very reliable for them. But you don't have to play that kind of game of chess and bring somebody in cold off of the bench if you know it's Cattell Marte in that situation or a switch it's hitter Corbin Carroll in that situation. That's so, what I like about Marte too. Sorry to interrupt, but like. With Marte, who has been really good in the leadoff spot, you mentioned he's hitting 313. He's on base 380 when he's in the leadoff spot, uh, something that they've tried at least this season but haven't done a ton of. He's got about 100 at-bats or he, so in that spot. He's been the consistent uh, leadoff hitter against left-handed pitchers. I like having a switch hitter at the top of the lineup because then if you're facing a lefty, we know he's good against lefties. If you're facing a righty, at least he has the opportunity to hit left-handed. Um yeah, the Pavin Smith thing. I don't know how long it lasts. I don't. I don't get the feeling that if it continu- t- continues to not go well, I can't imagine they stick with it. This is an organization that's made a lot of tough decisions this season because they've been surprisingly competitive, and mm-hmm. that's great. They made the hard decision to DFA Madison Bumgarner despite his massive contract that they gave him. They sent Jake McCarthy down to the minors despite knowing he's a role player and uh, for the long term potentially. Same with Thomas. Same yeah. with Alec Thomas. And both of those guys, to their credit, went down and did really well and raked. And McCarthy's back and stealing bases like it's nobody's business. And Alec Thomas will be back. It would make all the sense in the world to bring Alec Thomas back and Pavin Smith goes to the minors because, quite frankly, forget about the leadoff thing. He's not hitting, period, no matter where you're putting him. Um, I would think that that would be a difficult decision that's probably looming for the Diamondbacks. Sure. And with Thomas, I mean, Lavello said yesterday that the best version of this Diamondbacks team has Alec Thomas in it because of what he gives you defensively, the speed. I mean, the no-fly zone, we haven't really heard that phrase because usually... You know, it's it's Carroll and McCarthy and then somebody else, or it's one of the two, usually Carroll. Varsho um, last year. Exactly. But like earlier this season, they ran out those three guys, Thomas, Carroll, McCarthy in the outfield. And just the sheer speed makes it very, very difficult for balls to fall. So the best version of the team has Thomas in it. 
Now, I'm not sure when a move would potentially happen. I'm not sure if it would be Pavin or if it would be somebody else. I don't want to speculate on that, but with Pavin, it, it just... This team, and you're, and you're right about that, it took them four starts for them to move on from Baumgartner this year. It didn't take them long. They gave so him a leash, but it, they weren't going to let it, it be a long one. Yeah, they're trying it with Pavin in that spot, but I can't imagine it lasts forever if the results continue to be what they have been and they don't turn drastically. Let's talk about the catching situation. Gabby Moreno is arguably the best defensive catcher in baseball this season by certain metrics. He's got the highest uh, caught stealing above average, basically meaning how many more guys he's going to catch stealing than the average player in the league. Uh, he's alone in that category. He's got great pop time. It's in the top 10. I think, I think he's 12th in pop time in the league. He's got incredible arm strength in the top 10 to 15 in the league. He's really good defensively, It's he's proven. And, oh, by the way, he's hitting two seventy nine. Uh, so he's pretty darn good offensively as well. Hard line drive hitter. He's proven that he's the best catcher they have. And for Carson Kelly to come back from injury, missing a lot of time, I understand the desire to get him some reps so that he can get comfortable at the major league level again. Played pretty well in the minor leagues during his rehab stint. But for Torrey Lovello to come out of the gate and say, we're going to play them 50-50, 50% of the time Moreno, 50% of the time Carson Kelly. And I believe that Tory probably meant that is for now. He did. And then eventually it will drift back to being more Moreno. I imagine that's what will happen. But I'm just I'm just going to spitball this with you. Was Were they wrong to play Carson Kelly as much as they did in the first couple of days back from injury? Because the Phillies ran all over him. I don't know about wrong because a big part of that was Moreno and a fatigue factor that he was feeling a little nicked up. Just they felt he had had a pretty big workload. It's fair to assume that they wouldn't have managed the catching situation as they did if they like, let's say Carson Kelly was like going to be out for much, much longer. They probably don't play Moreno as much as they did early on. They probably mix and match a little bit more with Jose Herrera just to make sure that Moreno's kind of knees are kept up for the long haul of the season. But they knew that they were going to get Carson Kelly back at a certain point before July. And because of that, they knew they were going to be able to rely on him a little bit to sort of balance it out a little bit. So big workload for Moreno. They gave him a few days off of his feet. I think he had a pinch hit appearance, but that was about it. And so and you're right. It was a difference. Carson Kelly adjusting to getting back, you know, the the bat was cold. They ran on him a lot. They ran on him. They really took advantage. But ultimately, they're going to need Carson Kelly throughout, you know, at least for the short term and the long term of the season. That's just how they have it set up. It could be Gabriel Moreno playing 65% of the starts by the end of the season. I'm not sure about that. But for now, they sort of want to ease up on Moreno just to kind of save him for the long haul of the season and get Carson Kelly going. So it feels like both of those goals match up with each other really nicely. But you're right. For fans who want to see Gabriel Moreno every single day, it's going to be a little bit frustrating for now. Last one before I go to break. Uh, Zach Allen dazzled again last night. Another home game opportunity. Early in the season, his first two starts were rough. And I asked you on the podcast, I said, are you worried about Zach Allen at all? And you looked at me like I was stupid. (laughs) Now, fortunately, because we're friendly, uh, you did not call me stupid. But I felt like it in the moment. Because then he comes back and he's amazing. And, you know, he's probably going to be an all-star. Maybe deserves the chance to start that game. And might be the best pitcher in the league and win a Cy Young. Maybe. We'll see. His home and road splits are at least something worth talking about. He was great again last night, but it was at home where he's been fantastic and his batting average against is 202 this season. But on the road, 
Teams are hitting 290 against him. He's just a different pitcher. Is that something that I should be concerned about? And you're not looking at me like I'm stupid, so I feel like at least there's a conversation there. Uh, probably <laughs> not. Same thing. Um, okay. I know it's, it's had a couple of rough starts on the road this season to start off at Dodger Stadium. The first start, it was the first start. That Pirates start, and then most recently the Tigers start. Although the Tigers start was a little different because of how early it was. And Tori Lovello talked about his body clock just not being where it should have been. Is that the 830 game? 830 game, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that was weird. So it's a bit strange. So if you take those out, the first start and then that Tigers start, then it probably looks a bit favorably. Looking at his splits last year... He was very good at home. He was very good on the road. He was four nine or four or two four nine ERA at home, two five nine on the road. Opponents were hitting below the Mendoza line both against him at home and away. This year, the splits have been a little bit more drastic, but it's fifteen starts. He has been dang near unhittable at home. Sure, there's been a couple of starts going around the road, but I think it's way too early to think that there's something wrong with him on the road, especially given his past track record where that hasn't really been the case. Alex Weiner from ArizonaSports.com. You can hear him also on the Ain't No Fang podcast. You can find it there or on the Arizona Sports app. Thanks for popping in with me, man. Thanks for having me. That was fun. All right, let's get back to the big news of the day. The Phoenix Suns, could they land Bradley Beal? That's not the strategy that I thought they were going to take this offseason. More on the big potential trade news next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Going to pull back the curtain a little bit for you. Admittedly, Mitch had the day off. I decided to roll solo today because we weren't on last week, and I thought I had a lot of stuff I wanted to say. I had a lot of things I wanted to get to, a lot of topics, a lot of baseball stuff I wanted to talk about. I wanted to tell you all, remind you all about the Tuki Toussaint trade and how that was hilarious that he popped up yesterday at Chase Field and how what that trade really meant back in the day. None of that is important because two minutes before the show started, Sham Sharania tweeted that the Phoenix Suns are one of two finalists for Bradley Beal in a trade. And for the last two hours, we've been talking about the ramifications of that. Let's expound upon that. So he says Miami and Phoenix are finalists, that the Wizards are talking to both teams. Makes sense. And that the Suns have emerged as a serious threat for Beal. Chris Haynes follows this uh, up with his own report here a couple of minutes ago on Twitter. Chris Haynes, uh, NBA on TNT and Bleacher Report. He says Phoenix can offer a trade package of DeAndre Ayton and Landry Shamit to Washington for Bradley Beal. But it's believed a Chris Paul Shamit deal is what it would take if Beal chose to force his way to the Suns via his no-trade clause. So remember, Beal gets to choose where he goes. I think that's why he likes Miami. I think he likes the idea of playing with Booker and Durant. So if he wants to come here, this was the initial question that we all asked because we reacted in real time. Me, Trevor Henry, my producer, we we got on the air, and I said, Trev, did you see the the Bradley Beal thing? And you were like, no. And I was like, I'm going to spring it on you. This is the show today. That's literally what I said at the beginning of the show. This is the show. And we've talked about it ad nauseum, and we're going to lay it all out again. What do the Suns have to offer in a trade for Bradley Beal? A guy who is under contract for the next one, two, three seasons, and then a player option for a fourth. It's a lot of money. It's one of the biggest contracts in the NBA. He's going to make forty-seven point, sorry, $46.7 million next season. 50 the year after that, 53 and a half the year after that, and then the player option for $57 million. 
at age 33 then. He's 30 now, or will be next season at least. That's 35% of the cap, his salary next season. So if you find a way to trade for Bradley Beal, let's say it is the DeAndre Ayton, Landry Shamit package, or as Chris Haynes reports, more likely a Chris Paul, Landry Shamit deal, where then the, I imagine the Wizards would move on from Chris Paul. They would wave him and then stretch him, and then that way they create all this cap space, uh, essentially just getting rid of Bradley Beal and his money. If Even if you pull that off, the Suns would have no room to do anything else because Beal, Booker, Durant, all together next season costs $131 million. I didn't do that math. Kellen Olson at ArizonaSports.com tweeted it earlier, so I'm ripping him off. Credit to Kellen. $131 million. Now, I looked up the salary cap for next season. It's estimated to be $134 million. So between three players... On the Phoenix Suns, Booker, Beal, Durant, you would be spending $131 million out of 134 That leaves you $3 million, assuming, I don't know, maybe they have one or two guys still under contract. If they pull off this deal, here's, here's another question I have, and I don't know the answer to this, but you tell me. Even if they pull off the deal, let's say it's Chris Paul for Landry and Landry Shamit for Bradley Beal, you still have Aiton. So is there a way that Matt Ishbia just says, ah, forget about the salary cap? Forget it. I'll pay whatever it takes. And they have Beal, Booker, Durant, and Ayton? Because now that's probably a better scenario than what they had with Chris Paul. Now let's let's flip the script. If for some reason Washington goes with DeAndre Ayton and Landry Shamit for Bradley Beal. Now you have Chris Paul, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, and Durant. Now basketball-wise, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, I understand Chris Paul and the need to have a, a true point guard. Maybe they would wave him and then uh, try to sign him back, or maybe they wave and stretch him and create that room. I would imagine they would do that to then go and sign some other guys. But like I mentioned, if you have those three guys on your roster, there's not a lot of room. You would have to go and sign a bunch of league minimum guys, guys who either have not made a name for themselves in the league, or they did, and now they've been washed for a few years. I mean, Trev, you mentioned earlier like Dwight Howard, a couple of years ago, yeah. signed one of those deals. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I can't think of another great one. I mean, like, remember when De, uh, DeMarcus Cousins yeah, DeMarcus missed Cousins a lot of time? There. And then yeah. I think it was more than the minimum, though. I think he signed, like, a five-year. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Like mini except I don't, know what the, I don't know what it's called. The mid-level. I don't know. But that's what you're talking about. A bunch of wash dudes, and those three guys are your core? Or you go and try to find depth? Because i got to be honest with you. I thought this offseason was going to be about the Suns moving on from Chris Paul, moving on from DeAndre Ayton, and trying to trade them for space to open up to use some of those exceptions, or acquiring players that could play significant roles, and then building the depth around Booker and KD. I thought that was the plan. That's the only one that made sense to me, based on how they performed in the postseason. They were so top-heavy. They were they had two great stars, and then not a lot else that came through for them. I thought this offseason would be all about going and finding depth. And you know what? If this Bradley Beal thing doesn't come through for the Suns, it still may be the—that may be plan B. Or this might be plan B. Yeah, and they're know. just trying to figure it out. But boy, is that interesting. Sham Sharania reporting the Suns and the Miami Heat, two finalists for Bradley Beal in a trade. What would that look like? What kind of ramifications would that have on the Phoenix Suns who are trying to capitalize on a championship window? 
We broke it down for you here on Arizona Sports Saturday for the last two hours. I want to thank Trevor Henry behind the glass, man. When when stuff like this stuff hits the fan, it's good to have you here, Trev. Thanks so much for holding it down. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.